Let's go ahead and pray one more time. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for being here, for your presence, Lord. Thank you for ministering to our hearts. And God, we ask that you continue to do that, Lord, as we open your word. That you would speak to us, God. That you would change our hearts from the inside out, Lord. That you would take away those things that don't belong there, God, and replace it. Transform us, Lord. Give us a new heart with the things that you're showing us today. And I pray for your anointing upon your word. And here we are, God, with attentive ears ready to hear what you want to say to us. So I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking about this. Why do cutting onions put tears in your eyes? Well, when you cut an onion and break its skin, it releases what is this chemical called sulfoxides, kind of a sulfur-related chemical, and it rises up and enters our eyes, stings and stings your eyes, so that the windows to your soul respond by producing tears to wash away that chemical. Well, is there something that you can do about that? Yeah, there is. Don't cut onions. No, just joking. <laughs> Actually, there's some ideas out there. And I was, I kind of looked this up thinking about this. Um, there's a lot of remedies or things you can do to not tear up when you're cutting onions. One is like soak the onion in cold water. Another is use a sharper blade. Uh, another I read was uh, microwave the onion just for a little bit. Another one is keep the slice side on the cutting board. But I'll tell you, what, all, a couple sites that I read, those things didn't really work at all. They're, they're, there's just things people put out there. But one of the things that did work was they say to freeze the onion first. So most people say that works. I guess it, it keeps those um, juices from uh, turning to gases and coming into your eyes. Another one I thought was interesting that not everyone believed or said it worked. One person I read said it did was actually put a piece of bread in your mouth while you're cutting the onion. So, I don't know, something to try next time you do that. Another resolve, or one more I'll give you, is to actually wear goggles. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Um, Amazon actually sells goggles and they say it's for cutting onions and so like these little goggles and they seal there's a seal around your eye so the vapor those gases don't get into your eyes so there you go tip for today this is our Bible study uh, God bless you we'll see you next time no <laughs> what brings tear to your tears to your eyes someone said my wallet is like an onion opening it makes me cry i like that one too well tonight as we return here to the gospel of luke we find why there's tears in the eyes of jesus and we see some other things that are breaking god's heart and that's the title of our message breaking god's heart breaking god's heart uh, we're going to be studying Luke chapter 19 from verse 41 through 48. We're going to finish the chapter tonight here as we've been slowly making our way through this chapter and this book, really. 
And um, our, our outline tonight is this, and this is what is, we see in our passage that is breaking God's heart. And number one, uh, what we'll see, tears for Jerusalem. Number two, the temple corruption. And number three, the teaching wasteland. So that I've broken up our passage into those three parts to show us what is breaking God's heart here. And so number one, we have the tears for Jerusalem in our outline. The tears for Jerusalem. Now here we're going to be covering verses 41 through 44. But first of all, let's take a look at verses 41 and 42. We begin here now, verse 41, Luke chapter 19. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. We'll stop there for now. Uh, Luke here, now he begins writing what happened once Jesus, we see here in verse 41, once he drew near and saw the city, the city of Jerusalem. And, and what did he do? He ended up weeping over it. He wept over it. Now, last time we saw in a passage ahead of, uh, right in front of this, before this, like from verse 35 to 40, it was the triumphal entry, right? We covered that last week. It was the official entrance of the Messiah. So here's Jesus coming into Jerusalem officially as the Messiah. And remember, though, he's making his way to Jerusalem for the last time. This is the last week of his life. So Jesus made his way down the Mount of Olives that we talked about last week. And he's coming down and as he comes close to Jerusalem, perhaps even at a vantage point where he can oversee and see over the city itself. He's coming right up to the city and, and, and he comes close and tears now fill his eyes. Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. Think about this, though. I, I, I stopped to think about how this is the Messiah. Think about the significance of this. This is, this is Jesus in tears. God is feeling sad. The Lord is being very emotional at this moment. What, what, what is this we see? The, this is the tears for Jerusalem, our heading. Tears for the people, really, of the nation of Israel. When he cries for seeing Jerusalem, he's really crying for this nation. He's really crying for the Jewish people there that he has come for. So why is there tears in the eyes of God? Well, Jesus explains actually three things here. First of all, he's, he says here in verse uh, 42 would that you even you had known on this day the things that make for your peace actually there's two things here so first of all would that you would have known about this day so that's the first thing the messiah officially has entered jerusalem the messiah is here as prophesied he has come the messiah has come to say yet do the people really realize that? No. And so Jesus tears up here. The second thing, as I already read, would that you have received what Jesus brings to make for peace. And what is he talking about there? Peace with God. Peace 
in salvation. Uh, the peace with God from the forgiveness of sin. That God is coming to bring forgiveness, to restore that relationship with the nation. And the third thing is that would that this was not hidden from your eyes. You see, in rejecting Jesus as their Savior, as their Messiah, God really left them to their blindness. And so they were blind in seeing all these things, so now it's hidden. Now they can't see that Jesus is here because of their rejection. So God, sadly, with tears in his eyes, left Jerusalem to what they chose to do, and that's reject Jesus, the Messiah. You may be thinking, now wait, wait, Pastor Rick, didn't, didn't we see last week the crowd of people laying down their coats, welcoming the Messiah? The crowd of people waving the palm branches and putting it down on the road, what we saw last week, like a royal red carpet. Didn't they cry, Hosanna, right? We, I mentioned the other Gospels, uh, save us now. Or they cried in our passage in chapter 19, was blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. We saw that in verse 38. Didn't they say that? Weren't they receiving their Messiah? Yes, they did. Yes, they were receiving Jesus. Yes, but soon the crowd will turn on Jesus when he doesn't do what they want him to do. And we know, we know that. They, when when um, he doesn't take over the Romans, then you know what they're going to cry? Remember, this is the beginning of this week. By the end of this week, they're crying, crucify him, crucify him. Luke 23, 21, we'll see that. So Jesus can really see the future rejection here. Jesus can really see in their hearts that, yeah, they're receiving him as Messiah, but as we've been talking about, not the Messiah as what Jesus is really coming as. They want that conquering Messiah, not a crucified one. So they reject Jesus. So the first thing we see is that Jesus wept for Jerusalem, who will reject the only one that can save them from their sins. And so Jesus cries. Jesus weeps because he can see their blindness. William MacDonald profoundly wrote this, Because of their rejection of him, their eyes were blinded. Because they would not see him, they could no longer see him. Have you been rejecting Jesus lately? Maybe rejecting who he is. Maybe rejecting his help. Maybe rejecting Jesus, you know what, by your daily sin, by your habitual sin. Maybe rejecting his love and grace even. You know what? If you're doing that, you're putting tears in God's eyes. This is what the city was doing. This is what the people were doing. Well, it goes on here in verse 43 and verse 44. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. Verse 44. And tear you down to the ground you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So Jesus also weeps over what is going to happen to this beloved city of Jerusalem. You know, the Jerusalem means city of peace, basically, but there's not going to be peace in the future for Jerusalem. 
Jesus says the days in verse 43 for the days will come upon you when your enemies that's the Romans they will come and set up a barricade like around the whole city the whole city will be surrounded by the Romans so hem you in they'll lay siege upon the city and then it says in verse 44 that they will tear you down to the ground the city will be torn to the ground destroyed the romans the enemies will not leave one stone upon another and they're going to tear down the temple in that way so the beloved city of jerusalem will be left in shambles this is what jesus sees this is why he's weeping this is the consequences of their rejection of jesus and so Jesus says here in verse 44, why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Did they did not fully realize that this day that the Messiah had come, this visit, this official visit, the entrance of the Messiah, when God came into town to save the Jewish people, they didn't realize it. They did not embrace it. They did not understand it. They did not fully accept that. You know, what's amazing is that history tells us in 70 AD, almost 40 years after Jesus said this, that there was this intense Jewish revolt. The Jews really got together. They started to revolt against Rome. And that led uh, the general and Titus to come in with his legions and lay, they laid siege on Jerusalem. I think it was about four years they, they laid siege. And as the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem, they cut off all supplies. And, and when they did this, it was Passover time. So they, uh, they, what's reported is there's like 600,000 people were there for uh, Passover in Jerusalem and were trapped inside there. And as they laid siege, no supplies could go in and out. So people began to starve. Factions, uh, rebel, re the rebellious factions within were starting to fight each other. Uh, There's just chaos going on inside the city as the Romans surrounded. The Romans began to take over the city section by section, tearing down like city walls, buildings, and then uh, from that Passover time, throughout the whole summer, they methodically was demolishing, taking over the city little by little, residences, uh, shops. And the, as they went, they were killing men and women and children and just leaving death and rubble behind them. By September, the very beginning of September, the city had fallen to the Romans. Reports say that over 1 million Jews were killed and 95,000 Jews were taken captive. And the Jewish temple was totally destroyed. And exactly what Jesus said here, that they will not leave one stone upon another in you. They tore down Jerusalem like that and the temple was gone. Uh, what I learned in the past is that uh, they started to burn the temple and it melted the gold in the temple and the soldiers wanted to go after the gold so they began to push the stones that built up the temple and start pushing them down to get to the gold. When we went to Israel, we, we saw the stones still on the side, still uh, that had been pushed over there. From this time, this day, what Jesus is predicting right now 
And all that happened then is still like that today. Think about this. Now Jesus is weeping, not just for that event, not just for all the people who were killed and the children, not just that the, the, this beloved city was destroyed and the temple was taken down. It was not just that, those things for sure. But with the city, with the temple totally destroyed, that changed the way of life for the Jewish people ever since that time. I mean, think about this. No more sacrifices given. No more priests to do that job. No more uh, a feast to go to. No more Passover feast at the holy city of Jerusalem. None of that. Nothing. Their whole way of life, the, the, the main part of their religion and, and worship was done, gone for. So Jesus wept for Jerusalem, for he knew that their rejection would bring a very sad ending. That's why Jesus was weeping. He knew what was coming. He knew the consequences of their rejection. He knew that that would bring a sad ending to this era of the Jewish nation. I think about John 1.11 here where it says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. I remember Don Sturt said that's the saddest verse in the Bible. And it's sad. Jesus, being a Jew himself, God going to, to reach the Jews first before the Gentiles, yet the, his very own people, the chosen people of God, rejected the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus, who came. So Jesus wept for... He knew that the reaction would bring a sad, sad ending. I read about an 83-year-old man in Florida who slipped and fell in the middle of his driveway and he couldn't get up. His wife came to help him. She tried to call 911, but he stopped her. He said he didn't want any help. For three cold, rainy days, he laid there while his wife brought him food, water, any kind of medicine she could. She even, the article says she even slept by his side under a tarp. And sadly, he ended up dying right there because he refused help. Well, that's the same way this city refused Jesus. No wonder Jesus wept. They rejected the Messiah who came to save them from their sins, who came to restore that relationship. And knowing that without really repenting, going to Jesus, that the consequences would end up, the Jews will revolt and they'll lose the whole city when the Romans came and destroyed it all. So sad. But you know what? That's the same way for us today. If we reject Jesus, if we refuse Jesus' offer of help, you know what? There's a sad ending to that, especially when it comes to salvation. We cannot go to heaven unless we have Jesus. Unless you surrender your life to Him, you cannot get His help. Unless you, you relinquish, relinquish you doing everything, let God work in your life, it usually ends up in a sad ending. And that kind of response refusing his help, rejecting him, that kind of response is breaking God's heart. Stop breaking God's heart. Go to him. Let him help. He, he wants to help you. No matter what your deepest pains are, no matter what, what maybe you're going through, maybe 
maybe you've dealt with your pain by just pushing it aside or getting into other things to mask that pain. But usually those things don't end up too well. Some people begin to abuse alcohol or drugs or other things to mask that pain and the consequences of that choice. They, they ruin lives. It's a sad ending. But it breaks God's heart when we reject Him. He wants to help you tonight. Well, we see the tears for Jerusalem. And now number two, we go to the temple corruption. The temple corruption. Here we cover verse 45 through 46. And let's take a look at both those verses now. It says in verse 45, And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, Mark chapter 11, verse 12, tells us that this happened when he entered the temple. He entered it on the next day of the triumphal entry or when he officially entered Jerusalem. So remember Sunday, Palm Sunday, was that triumphal entry, the official entrance of the Messiah. Well, Mark tells us he entered the temple in verse 45. It was the next day. So that was Monday. This was the very next day that he entered the temple. Now, when it talks about the temple here, we're not talking about the, the inner sanctuary, but we're talking about the outer area, the outer courts, or uh, what I call the temple complex. Yeah? In the middle, in the center, uh, uh, is the actual temple with the inner court, the inside of the temple, and behind the curtains, the holiest holies where, where the uh, ark was. But outside of that, right, is, is two courts, and we're talking about the very outer court, which they call the Gentile court. And in that area, Jesus had entered that temple complex at this time and when he entered there he began to drive out those who sold so in this temple complex in the outer court were merchants set up all around who were selling things and they were making basically merchandise of God's people and so Jesus that broke his heart by the way this is the second time that Jesus drove out the, these um, uh, uh, market guys who, who sold there. This is the second time. The first time we saw at the beginning of his ministry in John chapter 2. So Jesus was broken over how these merchants had, 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 um, had made this temple a, a place of profit, basically. So that's why... In uh, verse 46, he quotes Isaiah 56, 7, saying it's written, My house shall be a house of prayer. In other words, God's house, God's temple should be a place where people seek God, where they pray to God, where they worship God. And of course here, where they bring sacrifices to God in worship uh, to Him and in offering for their sins. So it's not a place to make money. That's what Jesus is saying. Uh, Isaiah talks about that. He's saying this is to be a house of prayer, a place to seek God, not make money. But these merchants 
have made it a den of robbers. The temple turned into this outer court, this temple complex, and made it into a place where thieves and scammers were hanging out. And that was where you find them. So rather than pure worship, the temple corruption was what Jesus found here. And that's why he drove them out. Jesus was actually only exposing what everyone knew at that time, but they couldn't say anything about it. The, the, the whole temple setup system there was corrupted. The Jewish religious um, uh, leaders, um, they had allowed in the temple this marketplace, in this uh, Jewish temple. You see, worshipers who came to the temple, to the Jewish temple, to offer their sacrifices uh, to God, they came as Moses' law required. Now, some brought their own animals to sacrifice. Some would go buy animals outside the temple complex, like as they're coming into Jerusalem. Now, according to Moses' law, if you remember in our studies in the Old Testament, if you were you, if you are very poor, you can offer a dove uh, 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 for sacrifice. So say you're poor, you come in and, and, and you buy uh, a, a, a dove that's being sold there uh, right at the city gate, maybe for a dollar. So you bring that into the temple complex to bring as a sacrifice for your sins to worship God. But when you enter the temple complex, uh, or right there in the court of Gentiles, you find that uh, someone standing there inspecting the offerings that are brought into the temple complex. Well, your offering is inspected, and they find a blemish, and they say, well, sorry, your, your dove is not certified. So then you would be directed, or more like forced, to buy a certified dove, that is sold inside the temple complex for much more money, say like ten bucks. Yeah, and you and you're poor. You, you barely had a dollar to to buy this, and now you gotta put everything in, everything you have for what um, uh, for this dove that's officially certified. I mean, think about this scam, right? You're like forced. Because you want to worship God, you, you, you want to give that at sacrifice and offering for your sins, but it, the one, the cheap one you brought, oh, sorry, it's not certified. So you're forced into buying this certified dove. If you brought your own animal for sacrifice, many times what happened on inspection be the same thing. Uh, sorry, it's, it, there's a blemish there. You cannot offer this. So in the same way, you were directed to the merchants at their place, their little booth, their little table, to buy the certified sacrifice from ven those vendors inside the temple complex. So you see the picture, yeah? This is a total racket going on. You see why Jesus drove them out. You see why in, in even John that he overturned the tables, yeah? They were scamming on the people of God and making money. And you know what? On top of that, say you only had Roman coins in your pocket. And in order to buy the certified sacrifice, well, you had to exchange your money for the shekel 
because Roman money was considered unclean. So you would have to go to the money changers who would change the money. And guess what? The exchange rate was 25%. In other words, for every dollar you put in, you only get 75 cents back. So even your money you had wasn't uh, valuable and was taken, really. You see, this was a racket going on. This was the scam going on. Now you might ask, wait, wait, how could the priests, yeah, the, the religious leaders here, the Jewish leaders, how can they even allow this? I mean, they, they shouldn't let these guys in. Well, you know what? It was the priests who were running this racket. See, the ruling power at that time of the Sanhedrin, which is uh, 70 uh, Jewish men who are the leaders over Israel. They're like the religious leaders and ruling power over Israel under Rome. But the ruling power was a group called the Sadducees. We've talked about the Pharisees. They weren't fair UC. They're legalists, right? So they're Pharisees. Well, the Sadducees were very sad UC. They're very sad. You know why? Because they... They were more into the business of the temple. They, they were really like the, this, the, these crime lords, this mafia uh, running this, this little syndicate of business, abusing the people so they could get rich and, and hold power over the people. They were the ones who actually set up the tables and the systems and hired these merchant guys and they were they were in take they're they were on the take for this the monies that flowed through and came in so you see why jesus drove out the merchants you see why in john 2 he overturned the tables you see you see why it broke his heart and he came when he came in there and saw the merchants the temple complex had become a place where corruption and greed lived. And that's what we see here. That's why Jesus drove them out. The temple complex had become a place where corruption and greed lived. How sad where this temple, supposedly that is holy, where people are to come and worship a holy and righteous God, where people come with their their, their pure hearts motivated to offer sacrifices to atone for their sins because they want to get right with God. These guys totally scammed them for that. Knowing the people wanted to do that, knowing the laws of Moses said they had to do that, and they totally scammed on them. So this whole temple complex that's supposed to be holy and right had become a place where corruption and greed lived. Now I remember in the past years, um, there's been different individuals that have come through our church and they came with their agenda. Yeah. They come in like, oh, yeah, we want to seek Jesus. We want to study God's word. We want to worship. But really, I've seen guys come in to just come and pass out their business cards to try and get more business. I remember that. To pray upon Christians and, and for their money. Um, I, I remember someone showed up to get people to get them to vote for them they were uh, running for state council and and they're going from church to church and just trying to get people to vote for them and 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 they come in these people 
The church to them was a place to gain something from God's people for their own benefit. And that's what these guys were doing. That's why the merchants were there. And that's why Jesus drove them out. I think we we need to look into our own hearts and our motives. I mean, don't let coming to church be about what you can get out of it. But let it be all about what we can give to God. Give Him our attention. Give Him our heart and worship. Lift up our voices to Him to bless Him. That's what it should be. We shouldn't be like these guys. Warren Wiersbe said, instead of praying for the people, the priests were praying on the people. Right? Instead of P-R-A-Y, praying for the people, these guys were P-R-E-Y-I-N-G, on the people. And so... That's why Jesus drove these guys out, for his breaking God's heart. All right, well, we've seen, number one, the tears for Jerusalem. Number two, the temple corruption. Now we come to number three, our last part, the teaching wasteland. The teaching wasteland. Verse 47, verse 48. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. So we see here, Luke lets us know that Jesus was teaching daily in the temple. So every day, just about, in this last week of Jesus' life, he was there in the temple Teaching Now, in the temple complex, in that outer court, on the edges were these porches, basically, these columns, these covered uh, porches with columns holding up these roofs. And many times the rabbis or some of the, the teachers, the Pharisees, they would go and they would teach their students there or people would gather around to hear a teaching from a rabbi. So that's what Jesus did. Now, now most likely he would... Uh, go to the back to the Mount of Olives, Olives, stay at Mary, Martha's, and Lazarus' heart house, and then go back every day into Jerusalem, go into the temple, and he would be teaching the people there in these covered porches. I think that's awesome. Jesus took the time, yeah, to teach the people in these last days of his life. You know what? He didn't stop teaching the word. He continued. Now, we're going to see some of that teaching in the next few chapters. We're going to see what what he was teaching the people during that time. But in this, as he was teaching daily in the temple, it says in verse 47, the chief priests, which is really the Sadducees, they were the the leaders, they're the head guys, they're the ones in charge, they're the ones doing the sacrifices and, and running things, the chief priests and the scribes and the scribes are, are mainly the are, were Pharisees, so this is include, include the other group of guys, the leadership, the Pharisees. And then it says, verse 47, and the principal men of the people. They were laymen, they were lay religious leaders, maybe they were under these guys. And I was even thinking, well, these guys were, were maybe part of the, the, the guys who did the things for the priests and the Pharisees and who, who hired the merchants, all of that. They were kind of heads under there. They were made rich by their involvement in this temple business. Well, these, all of these guys, 
they were they did not like what Jesus was doing and they did not like Jesus so they were seeking to destroy him they're plotting to get rid of Jesus basically to kill Jesus so things are coming to a peak here things are coming to the peak where on Wednesday Judas is going to betray Jesus and make a deal with these guys so their their emotions their they're up being upset and angry. Their hatred is just growing. Remember, these religious leaders hated Jesus um, so much. They hated how the crowd followed Jesus. They hated how Jesus confronted them. They hated how Jesus didn't submit to them. They hated how he went after their business and, and drove the merchants out, right? They didn't like that. I bet you that act just, just tipped the scale. And they're just ready. We got to do it. We got to do it now. We got to get rid of him now. But verse 48 says they, but they did not find anything they could do. There was nothing, no action. They couldn't grab him right away. They, they, they couldn't just kill him. Why? Because all the people were hanging on his words. In other words, Jesus was way too popular in the people's eyes and it would be their own political suicide if they were to take him out right at that moment but you know what this was God's hand this was God's sovereign hand right uh, John 7:30 says his hour had not yet come but I want you to really notice something here is that how Jesus did not back down in the face of what these religious leaders wanted to do i mean the 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 opposition against him was growing more and more and more think about that and he knew at the end of the week yeah the people were gonna be shouting crucify him crucify him but jesus stayed courageous you know why we see here in verse 47 he was teaching daily in the temple i believe jesus kept teaching because the people were hungry for the real word of god they were hungry to hear from god and sadly in the temple the temple itself was the teaching wasteland it was barren the word of God really wasn't being preached or wasn't really taught there. And that's what I mean, the teaching wasteland. And that broke his heart. That broke God's heart. The true word of God had not been heard for a long, long time. You know, Mark chapter 1, verse 22, it says, The people were amazed as at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. So we get that indication here and there in the Gospels that when Jesus spoke, oh, it was like, whoa. People were astonished. People were, wow, this isn't like the Pharisee guys. Why? Because it was God speaking. And so Jesus, no matter what, facing the growing opposition, the hostility was, was about to peak, and the people even were going to end up rejecting him. He wept over that. He was still there for the people. He still kept teaching all the way to the end so our last point is this even with facing his soon death jesus kept teaching the people 
so hungry for the word. Even with facing his soon death, Jesus kept teaching the people so hungry for the word. He kept going all the way to the end, Jesus did. You know, I, I, I was saved and I grew up really spiritually. And I guess I was saved at 14, so I actually grew up uh, going to Calvary Chapel and sitting under Pastor Chuck's teaching. And later when I myself got into ministry, I learned of... Uh, the many difficult times and seasons and things that happened in the church that Pastor Chuck uh, went through while while I was actually actually there, and I, I learned of some situations and and I I might have thought of some things, but I never really I didn't know I didn't really think about it that much. But when I heard those things, you know what really struck me was, I mean even through some majors things and splits in the church you know one thing that stands out to me is that pastor chuck kept teaching the word that no matter what even when almost all his pastors had quit and started another denomination accusing him about with a bunch of stuff you know all kinds of stuff family issues things that happen you know what he was always there teaching sunday midweek and I was so, I'm so amazed at that when I learned that. And I thought, wow, that's his secret. And it's what we see here with Jesus. And that's what really inspired me, that in this teaching wasteland, there's no teaching at the temple that was breaking his heart. So Jesus, Jesus just kept teaching to these hungry hearts, even know, knowing what he's going to face, even his death coming up. He just kept teaching no matter what was going on. You know, whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever it looks like it's coming around the corner, don't stop with the Word of God. Don't stop sharing it. Don't stop studying it. Don't stop reading it. Don't stop seeking it. May the Word be just as important to you as it was for Jesus to keep teaching it. Don't let your own heart become a wasteland devoid of God's word. I'd like to close with this tonight. Uh, there was a Maurice Sendak, who is the author and illustrator, he's an artist too, of the series of children's books called Where the Wild Things Are. He wrote other children's books, but I think that was his most famous one. And the story is he gets many letters from uh, his young fans. And one of his favorites he had shared was a drawing sent by this little boy. Uh, he liked that drawing so much. So Sendak drew a picture of a, one of his wild things from a book on a postcard and sent it as a reply of thanks to the little boy. Well, the mother then wrote Sendak back and told him that even though it was an original drawing from a famous author, the boy didn't care. For when the boy saw it, he loved it so much, he ate the postcard. <laughs> Sendak said this to what the little boy did. That to me was one of the highest compliments I ever received. <laughs> I like that. How about that, right? He showed his love by eating the picture. I think in the same way, 
we should eat up the word of God. Don't neglect it. Don't reject it. Don't refuse Jesus at all. Let's stop breaking God's heart. Let's pray. Lord, we get a little glimpse of your heart today. We get a glimpse of what brought tears to your eyes and what bothers you, what breaks your heart, Lord. How protective you are of your people. Lord, we get a glimpse of how when people are hungry for the word, you're there teaching it. And God, may we all be faithful to share your word, God. May we all be faithful to make worship and coming to church all about you and not what we can gain. May we not refuse your help or rebel against you because maybe you didn't work in the way we expected. But may we have faith in you for who you are tonight. Lord, we don't want to break your heart. God, we want to bless your heart. God, we want to love you back. You've been so loving and patient to us that even tonight, God, we want to love you back no matter what's going on and have faith in you and trust you as you call us to do what we're supposed to do. No matter if it looks like a success or not, no matter if in our own eyes we don't see the fruit we wish to see. But God, we want to see you and we want to feel your presence and we want to know you better and that's what's important, God. We want you, Jesus. So Lord, tonight as we close up, we give you our lives, we give you our heart, we give you, God, faith and we give you our trust no matter what. And Lord, we truly, in the deepest part of our heart, don't want to break your heart, God. So help us not to, Lord. Give us the strength. Free us from our sins. And help us to live for you. And help us to grow closer and closer to you every day. Not farther and farther, but draw closer and closer. In Jesus' name, amen.